So it's good to be with you today. I want to talk to you about home. Is that all right? Could we do that for a little bit? As you can see, uh, I am an Asian person. Uh, I am the child of Korean immigrants. So my parents came to the States when they were in their 20s to do higher education. Uh, they actually moved to Kentucky, of all places. Uh, they moved to Lexington, Kentucky. My dad actually went to a university called Transylvania University. Anybody ever heard of it? Transylvania? Anybody ever heard of Transylvania? Yeah, you've heard of it because of Dracula, right? So like my, my uncle told my, or my great uncle told my dad, I think I've heard of this university before because um, it seems familiar to Transylvania University. I think he probably heard of it through a Dracula movie. But my dad ended up in Kentucky and so did my mom and they met and they had this sort of whirlwind romance, which I don't like to talk to them about, but they had this romance, they got together uh, and my dad became a car engineer for General Motors. Uh, how many of you have heard of General Motors before? Some of us. Some of us know that they're a car company. Uh, most of us don't drive GM cars anymore, but back in the day, uh, a lot of people drove them, and my dad worked for GM for a really long time. And so I ended up growing up in a Korean home where we ate Korean food, and we spoke the Korean language. Uh, we actually ate Korean food every day. So we'd get up in the morning, we'd have Korean breakfast. Uh, if I was home on the weekend, we'd have Korean lunch, and then we'd have Korean dinner. How many of you like Korean food? Some of us do, yes. Some of us go, ah, kind of, I see you over there, kind of like Korean food. Well, uh, I know that a lot of people are bananas about Korean food right now, and especially like, uh, I find it really strange now that to see non-Korean people cooking Korean food, but Korean food apparently is a thing now, I guess. Um, and we always ate Korean food at home, and I talked to a lot of people who, were, who would say to me, like, you ate Korean food at home all the time? That must have been great. And friends, I thought it was the worst. Uh, I would rather, when I was a kid, I'd rather eat a bologna and cheese sandwich than eat Korean food. And so I would take bologna and cheese sandwiches to school because my parents were really conscious of how things smelled. And so I would always think, but I'm just trying to fit in. I just want to eat a bologna and cheese sandwich. I'd rather eat that than a beautifully marinated short rib. Um, and here's the thing about that. Uh, I lived life as a small child, not sure where home was. I mean, I would, would go to school and I'd be at home with my friends. And then I'd go home and I'd be at home at home. And what was so disorienting about that for me is that when I was at home, we had a certain kind of values. And then when I went to school, there were different values. So at home, my parents wanted me to practice my violin for at least an hour and a half every day. My parents wanted me to study two hours a day, in addition to the homework. Uh, education was so important to my parents because we, my parents were like really, I mean they were Christians but they were really like influenced by Confucius. And so when I would be at home, we'd, I'd study, I'd practice my violin. When I'd go to school, my friends would talk about watching TV on weeknights. And I would think, what is that? TV on weeknights. I never got to watch TV on weeknights. So my friends would always see, say to me things like, did you watch the A-Team last night? 
And I would say, does anybody remember the A-team? The A-team, some of you do. Mr. T, anyone? Yeah, I always wanted to watch Mr. T and the A-team, but I could never watch it because we didn't have the technology back then where you could record shows and watch them later. So I would only get to really watch TV on Saturday mornings and Friday nights. That was it. And so I thought, man, it would be amazing if I were not in a Korean home because then I could watch TV all the time. But then I thought, man, it would be amazing to actually... uh, be in my, well, I was in my Korean home, so I always thought, well, this is amazing because I actually do do well in school, I guess, because I studied all the time. I wasn't, I don't really feel like I was that smart a kid. We just studied all the time. And so in a, in a way, I was like really happy about that. But in a way, I was really happy with, with my friends. And so I never knew where home was. My parents knew they were from Korea. I didn't know where, if I was from Korea or I was from America because I liked Korean things and I liked American things. And so I didn't know what to call myself when people would say, well, who are you and where are you from? I would say, well, I'm from Michigan, but I'm also from Korea. And so they would say, oh, you're Korean American. And I would say, well, what does that mean? And to me, what that meant is you don't even you don't either belong to Korea or you don't belong to America. You're kind of like a mixture of both things. And so I never knew where home was. My parents knew they were from Korea. I didn't know if I was from Korea or from Grand Blanc, Michigan. Just didn't know. And the funny thing about it about that sort of tension is that I would feel, first of all, I would feel like I didn't know where home was. Secondly, I would feel unexplainably homesick for a home. I feel like in my heart, I would feel, man, I have a longing to feel like I truly belong somewhere. I just don't know where that is. And sometimes when I was at home and my parents were there and my sister was there and actually some of my extended family was there, I would feel terribly lonely. Can any of you relate to being with a bunch of people and feeling super lonely? And I would feel like there's something about this that feels strangely so right and something about this that feels strangely lonely. And here's the thing that I want to say today. I want to say that that feeling is probably a feeling that you've had. It's probably uh, this strange feeling of homesickness is probably this feeling that you've experienced at some point in your life. And I want to say that there is something special about it. I want to say to you this morning that homesickness is holy. There's a certain glory about it. You know, like if you are a person who's believed in Jesus for a long time, uh, maybe you felt a certain sort of disorientation about living in the world. Maybe you felt homesick too. And I want to tell you, that's exactly how you should feel. Because here's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. The writer of Hebrews tells us that homesickness is part of what it means to be a Christian in the world. The writer of Hebrews tells us all these people, looking at Hebrews 11, if you've got your Bible, you can open with me to Hebrews 11, or you can look at the screens. All these people, so the writer of Hebrews is just, just finished talking about some of these famous heroes from the Old Testament. He's talked about Abraham, he's talked about Noah, he's talked about Sarah, and he says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcome them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. 
People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return, like my parents. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Friends, if you are a person who believes in Jesus, if you are a person who uh, calls yourself a Christian, then you should feel homesick. You should feel a longing for a better country, for a city whose builder and architect is God. That's how we should feel. That's kind of how, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. If you've ever felt like me, if you've ever felt unhoned by the world, if you've ever sort of felt like an immigrant who didn't know your home country, then you're in good company. This is how you should feel. The writer of Hebrews tells us they all, that, that these heroes, Abraham, Sarah, Noah, all these heroes all felt this way. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And what did they see? They, they, they saw that there would be a better country, a heavenly one coming to each one of them and each one of us. Hebrews 11.10, For he was looking forward, for they were looking forward, to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Friends, if we are Christians, if we believe in Jesus, uh, we have a city being prepared for us. Jesus actually tells us, my father's house has got many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. There is a city that you and I are meant to be a part of, are meant to live in. And every city and every home that we occupy or we inhabit until then will feel not quite right. The city that, uh, that the writer of Hebrews is referring to is actually this, the new Jerusalem, the garden turned city in Revelation 21. Uh, some of you are familiar with this passage. Uh, Revelation 21 tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is the great news about the new city that's coming. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the city that you and I are meant for. Isn't that good news? And, and, and he goes on and he keeps talking about the city. He says, it's a river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. You remember in the Garden even there were two trees, right? There was a tree, well, there was a lot of trees. There was two trees of note. There was a tree of life and there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here in the new city, there are two trees, and they are both trees of life. This is our city. In fact, uh, he goes on to say there won't be any curse. He goes on to say that, they, that God himself and the Lamb, or Jesus, 
that the light that issues from them, their glory will give light to everyone all around. And it also tells us that city gates, the gates are forever open. So when do you close the city gate? Close the city gate when there's danger outside, but you keep the gates open when peace and shalom is all around. That's the city that you and I are meant for. And so that's why we feel homesick. But even the homesickness is good news. There's three things that the writer of Hebrews tells us about homesickness and why it's such good news. And I just want to share those. And I want to talk about how uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us, how do we like, know that we belong to that city? And then, and then we'll pray. All right. So three things from Hebrews chapter 11. First thing. All of us have some memory or, or recollection of the best parts of home, don't we? So when you think about home and you feel a certain sense of oh, warmth inside, um, you probably can bring up a memory or two. Is that true? Yes? Yes, I mean, maybe uh, for me, like I remember on my birthdays, my mom would always make my f- favorite Korean food, which was actually not very Korean, but was my favorite Korean food. She'd always make it for me. And when I think about home, I smell the smell of the kitchen. What about you? What is your best memory of home? Can you take a moment? I don't know. I mean, I do this at the Evanston Vineyard. I don't know if we do this here at South Suburban, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. Uh, would you turn to your neighbor and just tell them, hey, I remember home and it was like this. Can you turn to your neighbor? See, some of you are like, uh, don't do this here, Ted. <laughs> yeah, don't do this. No. No, but what, what is home like? What, what, what's the best kind of home? Yeah, so I hear you actually, some of you are actually doing this, and bless you. Some of you are not. That's totally fine. That's totally fine. How many of you, when you think of, like, like home, you think of food? Yeah? Yeah, like, I, I do. How many of you, when you're home, you think about family? Yes? How many of you, when you're home, you think about both of those things, and a lot of them, right? So... I would just love to hear, I know that this doesn't happen that often, and I'm not here that often, and maybe I'll never come back. But when it comes to home, what do you think of? Like, I would love to hear, like, what food do you think of? Could you, I would just love to hear, like, what's, what are some of your favorite foods that, like, bring memory of home? Could I, could I, I just would love to hear it. Yes. Macaroni and cheese. Macro, oh, macaroni and cheese. How many of you think of macaroni and cheese when you think of home? I, I'm Korean, and I think of mac and cheese, too. <laughs> I like mac and cheese. Anyone else? Anyone else? Home, yes. Fried chicken, okay, yes. And? Ah, oh, your mother's collard greens. Sounds like we're all getting hungry in here, aren't we? How many of you? Is there a lunch afterward, Shannon? No, okay. All right. Well, maybe there. Well, just suck down a bunch of lemonade or some coffee. But you know what I'm talking about, right? And here's what the writer of Hebrews wants to tell us. You think that's good. You didn't see nothing yet. Every recollection of home, every beautiful thing that we experience in home, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that's just an echo of what's to come. 
Every beautiful thing that you've experienced in your home, that you've eaten, that you have like, when you sit around the table at, at a holiday, whether it's full or whether it's empty, all of those things are echoes of the thing that's to come. And so the next time you have a great experience of home, I wonder if you could, you could consider in the back of your mind, that's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. Would you, okay, I'll do this again. Would you turn to your neighbor and would you tell them you have seen nothing yet? Okay, here's the other thing that the writer of Hebrews wants to tell us. The writer of Hebrews wants to tell us that every home that you've experienced right now, well, it's an echo of the home to come, but he also wants to tell us you can take home wherever you go. In this world, you can take it wherever you go. Because home is not a place. At least not yet. It's a people. Home is a people. Even if you feel unhoned by the world, even if you feel like you don't have a place, you can still be at home. Because home is not a place, at least not in this world. It's a group of people who believe the same things that you do. It's a group of people who admit that we are foreigners and strangers on earth. Have you ever been in a, ever had an experience when, when you were away from home and you met some people that were from Chicago? Anybody ever have that experience before? And all of a sudden you were like, ah, oh, you understand me. Anybody have that experience before? You're a Bears fan. Nobody else is, I just want to tell you, I've lived in a lot of places in the country. Nobody else, no one is a Bears fan. <laughs> unless they're from Chicago, right? So if you see someone wearing a Bears hat, the only reason why they're wearing a Bears hat is because they're a fan, uh, generally. You know, but all of a sudden you're like, man, uh, you know me, I know you. We're like from Chicago, you know? We're like... We know each other, you know. Uh, and then they might ask you, well, do you really live in Chicago or do you live in a suburb? And if they ask you that question, you know they're from Chicago. Because only people from Chicago would look down on people who live in the suburbs. And only people from Chicago who live in the suburbs would be like, you will live here eventually. Right? But you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know what it feels like to, to have a people that's a home. And what, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, everywhere you go, no matter where you're at in the world, you can be home because there are people who will believe the same things that you do and will say the same thing that you do. They will join you, whether it's in English or in a different language, but, and they will admit with you, we are foreigners and strangers on earth, but brother, we're walking together. Sister, we're walking together. We are a people that is a home. That's what Hebrews tells us. That, that's why you can go to a church and no matter what that church looks like, whether it looks as beautiful as this or it looks like an abandoned McDonald's, you can feel at home because home is not a place. It's a people until we get to the city. And so that's why when you come to church on a Sunday morning, it can feel strangely comfortable. And the first time I went to the Evanston Vineyard, I walked through the the threshold of the building, and I felt like the Lord told me, you are home. And, of course, uh, it was in a big high school, and I thought, well, what a strange thing. I hadn't been in high school in, in a few years, and I'm like, I'm done with that. I don't want to go back. 
I don't want to go back. I mean, how many of you, if you could, if you, if you had a chance, would do high school over again? Most of us are like, nope. Did it once, don't need to do it again. But here I am walking into this high school and feeling like I found home. Because home is a people. Home, you can feel home. You can feel home in a vineyard. You can feel home at, at a Baptist church. You can feel home because you are with the people who believe that what you do, who are longing for a better, better country. Could you turn to your neighbor? I know I'm doing this again, but this is our Evanston Vineyard thing. Probably my church hates it too. But would you turn to your neighbor and just say, my home is a people. My home is a people. And isn't it strange that we can feel at home with people who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't dress the way that we do, uh, who don't have the same upbringing that we do. The beautiful reality of the home of God is that it's the home for all sorts of tribes and tongues. How many of you are friends with someone that you never would have been friends with unless you had come to church? That's the reality of church. That's why I love this church. I mean, I know that this church is a place that is hospitable to all tribes and tongues. This is a church that has leaned into the reality that we are home with one another. No matter what we look like, no matter where we come from, no matter what our biases or narratives might be. And that's good news, isn't it? All right, here's the third thing that the writer of Hebrews wants to tell us. The so first thing is, home is an echo of something to come. The second thing is home as a people. And the third thing is home is the achievement of God. So some of us enjoy homemaking, yes? Some of us do not. But all of us know that homemaking is hard work, yes? Well, here's the good news of the Christian story. The good news of our story is that home is not our achievement. There are no mortgages. In the new heaven and the new earth, there are no electricity or water bills. We don't have to pay for the remodel. Uh, we don't have to, we don't have to, I, I don't know about you, but we receive a lot of paper mail. I don't know about you. It just sits on a pile on top of our piano. And about 90% of it is junk. And about 10% of it is really, really important. And the 90% and the 10% get mixed together so we don't see the 10%. And then we find out later because someone calls us. Did you receive that bill? Because it's overdue. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, we didn't receive it. And you know what I'm talking about, right? But that's not actually what home is going to be like. Uh, home is built by God. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what Hebrews tells us. The writer of Hebrews tells us that home is something that God creates for each one of us. You ever, like, had the experience of, 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 uh, of, of someone else cooking for you and how good that smells? And, oh, that makes you so hungry. And have you ever had the experience of cooking the same exact thing for yourself and thinking, this isn't as good? Anybody? Even though it tastes no different, it's not as good. Why? Because someone served you, someone prepared it for you. And here's the Lord, here's God of heaven saying, I'm making something as ordinary and quotidian, but as important as this for you. I'm making a home for you. This is my job. 
Well, if you look at the Bible, the Bible basically says, I prepare a land for you. I prepare a home for you. I prepare the way. That doesn't mean that there might be hard work along the way, but it's always in partnership with the Spirit of God. It's never our own striving. The garden city that is our future is the city whose architect and builder is God. It's the achievement of God. And so how does homemaking actually happen? How does home, how, is it act, how does it actually occur? Well, it occurs by the one who made his home among us. The word became flesh and made his home among us. So, in other words, the one and only begotten Son, we just sang about the Word of God here uh, beautifully just a few moments ago. But the one and only begotten Son left his home, left his better country for our country, made his dwelling among us. And that literally means in us because he made his home in a human body. He left his home so we could go home. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How does home happen? It happens through a cross and a resurrection. It happens through the Son of God, Jesus, who left his better country to come to our country and submitted even to the worst of indignities, getting crucified on a cross. That's how home happens. Home is grace. Home is the achievement of God through grace and grace Alone, He was raised to life. He was dead. He was buried. He was raised to life. He defeated the powers of sin and death. They couldn't conquer him. And why did all that happen? It happened so you and I could go home. Jesus has done it for you. Jesus is making a home for you. Jesus is preparing a place for you. It's his joy and it's his delight. To do it, you can go home because Jesus left his home for us. It's all grace. And, and, here, and, and here's why. The way that we demonstrate that we do not belong to this world is not through any kind of working. So we, we demonstrate that we are Christians in the world not by working to earn it. We demonstrate it because of grace, through confession. So what does the writer of Hebrews tell us? How, how do we demonstrate that we don't belong to this world? We do it through confession. We admit it. We say it to be so. That if it were our achievement, if the home was our, the achievement of people, then we'd have to work hard to earn it, right? We'd have to try or work harder. We'd have to take machetes and cut through the dire wilderness to get home. No, no, no. If home is the achievement of God and it's by grace, then the way that we access that grace is through confession. We admit 
that we are foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. So our citizenship in the new country is demonstrated by our confession that we are foreigners and strangers on earth. Confession because it's all about grace. You remember this from Romans 10.9, if you confess or declare with your mouth or confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll get to go home. This is about grace all the way. It's about grace. That's why our confession is so important. That's why when we say, when we admit that we are foreigners and strangers on earth, that unlocks the power of God. That's what it does. When you say, I do not belong to this world, how many of you know that the power of God comes on you in that moment? That's what happens. We are not home in this world. We're exiles and we're waiting for our true home. And when we say it to be so, we access the grace that is so, that our home is the achievement of God and not our own achievement. So again, would you turn to your neighbor again and say, this world is not my home. Make confession. Here's the other thing about confession. Uh, I'm going to close with this. Uh, it's not just about words, is it? You don't just confess with your words, right? Don't you confess with your lives too? You make confession with your life. Uh, remember, uh, the writer of Hebrews says these, these heroes of the faith were living by faith. Well, how do you live? Well, you live with your life, don't you? So your confession is not just what you say. It's also the way that you live. How many of you have been to downtown Chicago recently? Anyone? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I mean, I, I do like downtown Chicago, but generally when I talk to people and I say I had to go downtown, they go, oh. But we've been to downtown Chicago, yes? Most of us. When do we go to downtown Chicago? When friends come to visit. When family is like, I'd love to see the bean. You're like, you really wouldn't. <laughs> it's really not that bad. Well, just like, let me get some mirrors and then it'll be less people, you know, and if you want to bend the mirror so that it looks like your body's out, you know what I'm talking about, right? Here's the funny thing about when we go downtown Chicago, don't we see people who aren't from Chicago? All the time, we're like, they are definitely tourists. You know what I'm talking about, yes? Uh, how do we know? Well, they're not wearing a winter coat, a proper one. You're like, you are, uh, are foolish. You should, have, you should have dressed more warmly. People who aren't from Chicago stick out, don't they? Don't they? Well, that's how we're supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to stick out. We're supposed to stick out like people who aren't from Chicago stick out. When we are in the world and we make confession with our lives, what that means is that we act differently than the rest of the world, don't we? We make living confession with our lives, with our mouth, that we are different than people who live in the world. Somehow, through our actions, we demonstrate we're also foreigners and strangers on earth. Whether that's with the way that we make choices, whether that's with the way that we talk to one another, whether that's through our fidelity, or whether that's through uh, maybe the kindness that we treat one another, whether that's through the fact that we care so much about restorative justice, we demonstrate that we are not part of this world through our living confession. It's not just with our mouth, it's also with our lives. Too. And how many of you know that that kind of confession is so important? Your life matters. Our lives matter. The way that we live our lives matters so much. If we're parents and we have small children, like I do, 
how I treat them is a witness to them of the heavenly country, isn't it? How I treat them in public, how I treat my little children in public is a confession to, to the world that I belong to a different country. I'm working on that confession, by the way. I'm not so good at it. But I know that my actions matter. I know that people are watching you and me. Maybe some of you, that's how you actually became a Christian. Maybe you became a Christian because you watched someone who, who had a different kind of confession, who knew they were going to a different country. And by virtue of the way that they acted, by the way that they spoke, you knew there was something so attractive about them. And you knew maybe my homesickness has a meaning. And so you talked to them. Maybe, and I think, I think maybe this might be a word for South Suburban Vineyard. I've been praying about coming here. I've been praying about uh, being at this church. Um, I admire the Austin so much. And, uh, and, and David Jacob, who's running around here, David Jacob and Jenny, um, I just admire the house that God has built through you. And I wonder this morning uh, if, I mean, we had some praise this morning, didn't we? I mean, we praised the Lord, didn't we? This is a house of praise, isn't it? It's a home where people can come into and find, oh man, I'm going to sing the songs of my heart language, right? Yes, we did that this morning, but I also wonder if this is supposed to be a house where the kind of confession that brings people to God happens all the time. I wonder if this is supposed to be a house of evangelism. Uh, a, a place where, where, where every single one of you makes living confession with your mouth and with your actions that you belong to a different country and so in so doing actually bring people to their true heavenly home. And so in a moment, the band's going to come back up. We'll just invite the band to come on up right now. Uh, and I would love for us to pray. I would love for us to pray for those uh, in the room that feel compelled this morning to lean into the confession that is their lives because I do believe that people are to come to know Jesus through each one of you. Did you know that? I believe that to be true. Some of you have been praying for years for family members and friends and I believe that you're going to start to see the fruit come from that. And here's the other thing that I just want to say. Uh, this is the other thing that um, that I, that I think might be just a word for all of us today. I don't know if this is true or not. I mean, listen, if the world is not our home, that means that kind of like the regular pattern of, you know how the world's pattern is, like if you're a child and you go to school, then you are an adult and then maybe you get a job and then you retire. And then you sort of wait out the rest of your days until you expire. That's the pattern of the world. That's not the pattern of the kingdom. If this world is not your home, uh, there's possibility every step of the way that your confession would make a difference. And so I, I think the thing that I want to say is that there's some people in this room here who are in the second half of their lives and are wondering, what difference do I have to make? And I believe that the Spirit of God is on this church and not just for first seasons of life, but also second seasons of life. That there are people here in this room 
that will make living confession uh, in their second half of their lives and have more fruit than they ever dreamed. Um, talking about you, Ramon. I don't know where you are, Ramon. There you are. I just have this sense there's more coming for you. There's more coming for you. And I believe that to be true for many of you here in this room. And so I, I want to make sure that we do pray for, for those things. So, first of all, for just the release of evangelism. Um, and then secondly, for those of us who are in the second half of our lives that are wondering what next. In the home of God, you know, we don't retire. We continue to be fruitful. And so, Jesus, I just pray. I pray that for those of us who have felt unhomed by the world and feel that holy homesickness, would you remind us in this moment that we are meant for a better country, that we're meant for a city whose architect and builder is God. You are preparing a home for us, and we want to thank you. We are so grateful that you're making room for us at the table. Amen.